You are listening to a White Phosphorus Pictures podcast. Broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico, I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. Want a silver bullet, huh? Huh? The man Uncle Red had gone to see was more than a gunsmith. He was, Uncle Red said, an old world craftsman, a sort of wizard of weapons. He confirmed the high grade silver content of my crucifix and Marty's medallion, melted them down, and molded them into a silver bullet. Marty had read all the legends about werewolves. And though they differed on several minor points, they all agreed on one. It takes silver to kill a werewolf. And we were taking no chances. Oh, well, shit, it's just a gag. I mean, uh... Heck, you're gonna shoot a 44 bullet at anyway. Made out of silver. How about a werewolf? That was a scene from the 1985 motion picture, Silver Bullet, written by Stephen King as an adaptation of his book, Cycle of the Werewolf. One common theme in King's work were children confronting a supernatural terror when most adults refuse to believe in the possibility of monsters. Tonight's guest swears that at during the most celebrated time for Stephen King's greatest stories of fiction, a creature of unknown origin confronted he and several of his friends one dark night. Do you believe in monsters? You might after tonight's episode. We'll hear his amazing story after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at off to the witch for a variety of extras and special features, including the off to the witch mini docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes, as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series off to the witch presents, as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary Montauk Chronicles and follow us on social media. All links are available at linktree.com slash garitano7, G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch. It began in May. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full, 
it happened again. And again. What was that? It's over there. Who like that at me? Nobody knew who or what was responsible. They only knew it had to be stopped. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense, Stephen King's Silver Bullet. to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and tonight's guest, Matt Emsch, was 14 years old and loved monster movies and particularly the stories of Stephen King. In 1985, the motion picture, Silver Bullet, based on the book Cycle of the Werewolf, was released in theaters. In 1986, the masterpiece novel It, a story of a horrific shape-shifting nightmare terrorizing the children of a small main town, was released in bookstores and libraries. These tales of fiction were fresh in the minds of Matt Amsh and three of his friends when they fatefully merged with the literary world of Stephen King and witnessed a monster as if it jumped right out of the book pages and movie screens into their reality. So get comfortable, turn out the lights, and here's my interview with Matt Emsch. My name is Matt Emsch. Uh, I was born in Youngstown, Ohio. Youngstown is about an hour in between both Cleveland and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So an hour either way, we're directly in the middle. Um, So I'm sure you can imagine uh, the people there are either a Cleveland or a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. So um, very big on on football in the area. Uh, I played high school in college football. The high school I went to was Ursuline High School. It's a private Catholic school, uh, very big into uh, academics and athletics. It's actually ranked one of the top uh, 12 or 13th, I believe, private school in the country. Um Also, I went and played college football for Jim Trestle, who a lot of people know from his Ohio State days. Uh, I played there on full scholarship, 1991 through 1994. And, uh, you know, they they call it FCS level football division one. Now it used to be called one double a. And when I played 91 through 94, um, we went to four straight national championships. We won three out of four, uh, barely lost the one in 92. That has a lot of bearing on just the type of man I am and the disciplines I have in my life. When I was young growing up, uh, I, I can point to even as a baby, uh, things that were seen and noticed that I have just, I don't know, I guess you could say something sensitive about me towards 
life. I've always noticed details that other people don't notice. I quite honestly freak out my family to this day. I do things in a premonition type of way often. Um, I always notice details and things and people I can read immediately so well that again, I freak people out. And I don't know why it's just a talent that I've always had. I actually don't look at it as a talent. I look at it as just normal for me. So when I was very young, a baby in the crib, I to this day, have insomnia problems. I, I struggle with sleeping. I usually only sleep two to four hours a night. And this one story has a lot of meaning onto everything that has ever happened in my life. And when I was an infant, I was in the crib and my grandmother, my mother's mother, uh, I'm half Lebanese, by the way. I'm half Lebanese and half German-Irish. My mother was 100%. My mom and dad are no longer here, unfortunately. And um, my grandmother or my taita, which is Lebanese for grandmother, called my mother to come over for lunch one day. And my mom was crying and, and she told her mother, uh, mom, I don't, I, I can't come. I'm very sorry. Matthew didn't sleep again all night. I don't know what's going on. He never rests. He's never sleeping. His leg is always moving. Even when he's in bed, his leg shakes. And to this day, I'm always like, you know, moving my leg up and down. And I'm told when I sleep, my leg even moves and I, I'm hyperactive. And um, I'm up all night. Like I said, my family calls me Batman. And uh my mother was really, really upset and, and exhausted so much so she was physically ill and she was crying to my taita and she was saying, Mom, I don't know what to do. Matthew won't sleep. He never sleeps. He's finally asleep. I can't wake him up. You don't understand. I've been praying to Jesus. God, please let my son sleep. And she said, I'm so sick. I'm so exhausted. He never rests. And, you know, there's five kids in my family and the other four, none of this has ever happened with them. It was only me. And this is where it really gets important for me. And I've always held on to this and it's prophetic. Uh, my mother always said that your, your, your Taita, your grandmother, my mom made a prophecy about you when you were a baby. And when my mother told her that she was sorry and she couldn't come and why, she said, my Taita laughed. She chuckled. And she said that, Matthew. She said, he's going to bless your life someday. She said, I want you to know there's something very special about him. An hour later, my grandmother was gone. And that had a lot of impact on me. Now, I only met one grandparent. I'm sorry if I'm getting choked up. It means a lot to me. No, it's important. It's important. Everything, all of this is important to your story. You don't have to apologize. Thank you. And uh, I, I only met my father's mother. My mother's father, my jidu, or grandfather, passed away when my mom was just a teenager. He had a massive stroke and was sick for a long time. And uh, he passed when she was just a teenager, so I never met him. I did, in a way, meet my, my Taita, but I was an infant, so I never got to know her uh, personally. And then my, my pop-pop, my dad's dad, passed away when he was only, only 45 years old. And um, 
So I, I, I feel I was kind of cheated in a way, but those stories really meant a lot to me. So moving forward through the years, you know, I, I always, again, noticed details other people did. And I, I always would hear things or see things out of the corner of my eye. And I don't know if it was anything or you hear a lot of stories of people seeing shadow people out of the corner of their eye and things like that. And um, Did you have anybody else around you at that time that shared experiences like that? Any kind of late night chats with friends? relatives outside of your grandmother during that time, did anyone ever say to you, hey, man, I, I've seen these things too? No, not really. Um, my younger brother, um, who, now the, the, the three older ones, my, my oldest sister is about 10, 11 years older than me. Then the next one in line is my older brother, who's about nine. Then my other sister is about six. And there was a lull. And then I was born. And then my little brother, who's only 14 months younger than I, he wasn't, well, I don't want to make it sound like he wasn't an accident. He just wasn't planned. So we were very, very close. And we still are to this day. We were inseparable. And sometimes, you know, what I would say, did you see that or something? He would get kind of nervous and like, no, why? What did you see? I think maybe once in a while when I said, did you hear that? If I heard little thises or that's, he'd say, yeah, I heard something. But not really, not not anyone but me really noticed these types of things. Um, and then as I got older, uh, you know, having friends that I'm really close with uh, through grade school and moving into this experience that was a, a life-altering experience to this day happened when I was 14. Uh, we had just got out of grade school. So I was 13 going 14. Right in that, that time frame was 1987. So I was getting ready to be a freshman in high school. And we had gotten out of grade school and, you know, being a being a, a man yourself and, you know, when we're young, how, you know, when you get let go from school, you go, you know, kind of buck wild, so to speak. And you're ready to just let everything out and have fun. And we used to go everywhere. We would ride our bikes or walk everywhere, literally to other suburbs, to other cities, you know, and and we really shouldn't have been going that far, but we just did. And. Uh, one of the areas that we really liked to frequent, and it wasn't somewhere that all other people did, it was basically just us, was that we liked to go down to the old steel mills in Youngstown, Ohio. And I, and I always, there's going to be things I always say when I delve into this experience. And I, I separate what I say experience from stories and there are real stories out there but for me i always like to say it's my experience because a story in my opinion can be something that might necessarily not be true it might be made up so i always like to to you know differentiate those two so when this experience happened uh it was june it was probably the first or second week of june and it was hot and uh, we would go down to the steel mill down there. You could Google uh, old steel mills of Youngstown, Ohio, and specifically the blast furnace. And very often the exact picture that needs to come up that will explain 
you know, where we would go will pop up and you'll see the blast furnace. And sometimes in this picture, you'll get a picture of a train on a train track and see how truly close these tracks went to the blast furnace. And obviously the reason it was so close is if you have a steel mill and there's some working ones down there now, uh, you know, you have to ferry in materials to make the steel and then, you know, ferry out the product, the end product. So that will come into the experience. And I apologize. I, I have a sinus infection if I sound a little stuffy. Um, so we would like to go down there because one of my friends who was there that day literally lived right across the street from this opening there. And so on his street, if you walked out his front door to cross the street in front of his house, you would then find a fence after a little bit of, of grass. And over that fence would be Route 422 Youngstown Warren Road in Youngstown. And it would uh, be, it, well, it was a four-lane highway, and you would have to run across. And once you cross that area, we would be able to get into the area where this old steel mill was. And it obviously wasn't being used. Youngstown used to be a huge steel maker back in the heyday of when American steel was the backbone of, of this country. And it was rusting away, and it was dilapidated and falling apart. And and it wasn't normal for people to go down there. It was just us. So it would take roughly a half an hour to get down to this blast furnace area that we like to go. And we investigated all of the other areas. We're talking miles of different buildings and, and things to look into. And it was very dangerous just in the aspect of the buildings were falling apart. We're very lucky no one ever got hurt or killed. Now, the other dangerous side of this was the time frame of when this was going on. The late 80s and into the early 90s, Youngstown, unfortunately, even to this day, has gotten a moniker of uh, Murder Town, USA. And what I mean by that is there's been a lot of crime and murder through Youngstown through the years. And, you know, I'm very proud of where I was growing up and it's become a much safer town and city as great nightlife now that didn't used to be there and restaurants and things like that. But then there was a lot of gangs, you know, the Bloods and the Crips even made their way from California to Youngstown and other gangs and very dangerous. And, and where I grew up on the north side, I grew up on a street called Laura Avenue right off of Belmont Avenue, which is, is very easy to find on Google and those from the area know it. And, uh, you know, it was an everyday occurrence to hear gunshots during this time and you almost got used to it. And then what also was very big during this time, when, and even to this day, people think that the mafia is gone. They just don't advertise like they used to, so to speak. And it was still well known during that time that they were active in the area. 
So they would be down there sometimes, you know, they found bodies down there. They would hide bodies down there. Some people were killed down there for whatever reason. Uh, some of these gangs would do their business down there, be it either drug or whatever else. And we would see strange vehicles and people down there. We would make sure to hide from their sight and to get away from them. And there would also be homeless down there. And we did not want to come around them because you never know which one of them is going to be violent or nonviolent, and we never ran into anyone like that. Um, the thing that really, really made us nervous, and why we took great caution more than any other, and when I say great caution, I mean even as fourteen-year-olds, we would be armed and we would have weapons on us, and I mean guns. And they weren't anything special. Like we, my one buddy had a little twenty-five automatic that whenever you'd shoot it, the firing pin would pop out, and you'd have to put it back together. And another one had a little twenty-two pistol, and then I had the real, the real one. I would take out of my father's closet. He had a, a cowboy boot, one cowboy boot. Dad didn't wear cowboy boots. He had it in the back of his closet. And in this boot, he had a 38 that he bought to protect his family. God forbid, if anything ever happened and nothing ever did, we got out of there all right. And he would not have been happy if he knew I found it and took it. We never shot it. We never shot our weapons. We never shot at anything. And, and we just did it to protect ourselves. And there were wild dogs down there, packs of wild dogs. And anybody that knows big cities that have areas that are, are, are again, dilapidated buildings not being utilized anymore that are set for maybe destruction and making way for new businesses or buildings, you know, you will find packs of dogs from anywhere from five to 10 to maybe more that are dogs that have run away from home or that were born in, you know, wild by other dogs and in litters. And, and they all depended on each other and they would run around and you definitely would not want to come up on these animals. And, uh, you know, they would attack humans. They were known to kill and still are. And, they would uh, gang up on either animals or human beings. And during this time frame, there were supposedly a couple unfortunate homeless people that were killed by packs of dogs. And that, that will come into play a little bit later, too. And uh, so there was one area in this blast furnace. Uh, that we liked. There was a building there that we liked to frequent, and we made our quote unquote home base. And we liked it because number one, there was not any, any stairs leading up into this building. We liked it because the dogs could not get up. Now, if we were in this building and they came by and they saw us, they would stand as close as they could and, and bark and let us know that they wanted to get at us. So we liked that. We liked that they couldn't get in. The building was very large. It was four floors. On the north, south, east, and west walls on the first floor, they were completely open. They were big, huge areas, obviously, to get stuff in and out. And what we did is we found hundreds of these metal 
whatevers. So if you've ever seen Gladiator or any of the other Gladiator movies or you Google Gladiator Shields, you know the ones that are kind of, they're bent backwards towards the user sort of protect. I would believe your shoulders or, or when you can hide behind it, you can't get, you know, so that's what these were shaped like. What was the original purpose for those? You know, that's something that I, I, I really am going to look into. Uh, they had numbers on them, uh, but they had stacks of stacks of rows of these things. And we always wonder what the heck are these things for? So I'm going to do some research so that I can find out. And, what we did, and it took two of us to move them. They were at least 100 or more pounds each. We made them line up uh, in these openings of these walls or, or the openings of the doorways. And we put one row from end to end on all each side. And then we helped each other lift another one. And we made a second row on top. So to have a makeshift type of wall. That would hide us from from trains coming by or, you know, prying eyes. And we just didn't want to be seen. We didn't want anyone to call the police or security to come remove us. And we would get in trouble. We also liked to be down there at night, which was not smart looking back as an adult. But we liked to be there at night and we would have fires inside of the building. Now, there was no wood, nothing to burn the building now. And if you walked into the center of this this first floor, you could look right up and see the very top of the building ceiling, four floors up. So if you walked on the second or third or fourth floor, you could walk into the middle of these rooms and there was a, a, a square cut out of the floor with a half concrete wall up on all sides so no one would fall into it. And you could look down or up at the other floors. So when we, we made fires, there was no danger of it even hitting the ceiling. It would just go up right in, uh, like a chimney almost. And this night, you know, we there was never a shortage of, of things to burn. There were tons of, of wooden pallets. And this night we made a big one, like a bonfire size one. And my one best friend, he actually found like a, a bucket of like oil or grease or something. And he threw it on there. So when we lit it, this sucker went up and it was literally like when you have a football team having a rivalry game and they have a bonfire the night before. It was literally that big, so much so that the flames had to go up to at least the third floor. And we were nervous because we we're like, wow, someone's going to see this. But it was keeping out a lot of the light. But from the top of that second row of these makeshift walls that we made, there was still a good distance of just nothing there. So the light from that would escape and go outside and light up the surrounding area. Well, we were watching the fire. And, and you know, Chris, I'm sure you've been many times you've seen at a campfire or, or, or just in your backyard, maybe a propane fire and, and how humans specifically will just be captivated by fire. You know, the, the one thing I will say that I did notice before everything started to really happen was when we were staring at the fire and we were, as I said, captivated by it, just staring at it, we were not talking. There was there was almost a, a, a complete silence 
around us. It was night and I, you know, you could hear off in the distance, the highway, you know, even though it was a half an hour walk to get there, you could still hear cars on the highway or beeping or just the sounds of the night, animals and and things like that. It was silent. It was almost too quiet. And and we were staring at the fire and, and we were just, you know, just looking at it, listening to the popping of the of the wood, you know, being burned in the air bubbles in it, letting that telltale crackling noise happen. And all of a sudden, you know, and, and before I say this, you know, you always hear lately a lot of experiences when they talk about how everything on planet Earth has a frequency, even rocks and trees and things like that. And sometimes the frequencies of us and the supernatural whatever fall under that same you know, frequency level. And that's why we, we find out about each other or seen or mixed. And I think this was one of those occasions because of the silence and of what happens next. And we, as we're staring, and as again, I said, captivated by the fire, we hear this pack of dogs coming. And they were barking and running like crazy. And it sounded like they were on a mission. So we all, without even saying a word to each other, walked outside where when you would enter this building, there was kind of like a broken up concrete outcropping, if you will, where we would have to, you know, help ourselves, push ourselves up and roll ourselves up and then stand up and go in the building. So we went out and stood there. And we were looking and we watched these dogs run by. And this was another rarity. They did not look at us. They did not care about us. They would always make a point if they saw us to to let us know that they didn't like us. They knew we were there. They just didn't care. And they made a quick left just as they ran right by us, still in front of this building we were in. And they ran over, which the next closest thing was the railroad track. And the railroad track was probably just five to six feet from the building. And they ran over this railroad track. And the next thing that they started running up was a pile of, in the steel making industry, if you've ever heard of Coke, and, and it's just some type of ingredient that they use in the steel making industry that will either cause the fire to burn hotter or it just helps it purify the steel. I'm not sure, but they had giant piles of this material, 15 to 20, 25 feet high, and from left to right, as far as the eye could see, it went. And they ran up one side of this and down the other side, and we could not see anything. Because it was nighttime. And within seconds, we started hearing that telltale sound of dogs fighting, attacking, biting. And we thought immediately that they were fighting with each other. We're like, whoa, what's going on here? Why would they be fighting with each other? And you could hear like the biting and almost like their heads, you know, snapping back and forth that they were tugging on something. But within seconds, we knew that it wasn't them. They were doing it to something else because now 
above their noise, we heard a very, very loud growl, uh, roar, unlike anything to this day I've ever heard or we ever heard. It was a combination of like a bear, a, a, a tiger, a lion, and a, and a wolf. It was like everything rolled into one, and it was so much louder. You almost felt the vibration of this roar, and you could tell that's what they were fighting with, and, and they were biting and fighting on it, and very quickly, you started hearing yelping, these dogs crying out in pain. Uh, and then what happened next is when Everything changed. Two dogs, one right in front of the other, came literally flying over the top of this pile of coke. And the first one is etched into my brain. I will never forget it. What I saw is it was its butt and tail were facing us, but it was overturned. So its back was facing the ground. And its head was away from us. And it was almost like these two dogs, the other one followed suit, but it was kind of sideways. Its head was facing us. It was almost as if somebody had grabbed them both and threw them with great force. And the first one hit the ground and you let, let out a yelp and it got up and it, it, it limped away the way that it came, which would have been to our left. And it's the way we would always come into this area. The next one hit the ground and immediately blood hit the ground. And again, we had light because it was a bright night. The moon was out, but we had light from this fire that was escaping the building and lighting up the area just in front of us and on this pile of this material. And we saw blood and we could see on its left side from its front shoulder all the way down its rib cage to its back hip. It was almost like it was flayed open and it was a gruesome injury. And I'm, I'm a huge animal lover. I'm a huge dog lover. We've had dogs forever. We have one now. We're down one, unfortunately. My, my best friend, Beamer who was a 16-and-a-half-year-old cockapoo. We just had to say goodbye to him a few months ago, and I miss him dearly. So we, we are big dog lovers, and I remember I immediately said, oh, my God, that poor dog, I hope it's going to be okay. And I doubt it was. I would assume, I feel bad to say that, it probably died. And it limped away slowly, and it was crying and leaving a blood trail. And within seconds, two more came over the pile and one of them hit the top of it and this material just popped it went everywhere and they hit the ground and they got up and ran away and then the woods that were left came running over and they just took off on their own and they all went back to our left the way that they had come and then we were watching excuse me <clears throat> And my wood friend who was to my left and behind us was the first to notice. And he kind of poked me in my back and he goes, guys, what, what is that? What is that? Well, look, look. We all turned our heads and what happened was a creature crawls to the top of this pile. The largest animal I have ever seen to date 
so big, and I always say this, so big it looked fake. It was a combination of a giant wolf and a tiger and a lion all in one. It was gigantic. And and the only way I could compare the shape and the size of this animal was to the shape and size of a polar bear. And it was bigger than a polar bear. But what I what I mean by that is where you have like, say, a Kodiak grizzly bear, it's like a walking boulder. It's just boom, boom, boom. This was streamlined. It was very lengthy and long. And it had muscular just features everywhere. And the front arms are what what really grabbed us all immediately because it was turned sideways to us. And from the front, its head and its body was at an angle in the air higher than where the behind of it was. So its front arms were very long and it was looking in the direction, looking at these dogs and it definitely did not know we were there yet. And it was staring at them and I will always say this as well. Some might find this humorous. We did not. It lifted its leg and started to to urinate. It did its business. And immediately we knew it was a male. Uh, You can tell just by looking it was a male. And it started to do its business. And it had a look on its face as it was staring. And it did this almost as if you can almost read its mind. Like it was saying, I let you go. I'm letting you live. I'm marking my territory, and if you come back, you will never leave again. That's like the thought I got. Did did any of you uh, attempt to run? No. Okay. Did did nobody even said, as soon as you started hearing the chaos, there was no instinct whatsoever to run? No, we were frozen. We just were frozen in place, standing there, wondering what was going on. And when it came out, we just stared. And, and when it started doing its business, it came out like a stream, like from a hose, Chris. It, it was literally like turning on a hose. And it hit this material and pieces started going everywhere just the force of it was just spraying these these pieces of this coke material everywhere and that's when i started getting deathly afraid because if this animal that we're looking at that we've never seen before in our lives is so big that i feel like now i'm starting to believe i'm dreaming that i'm gonna wake up at any moment that this thing looks fake it's like i'm looking at a movie but we didn't wake up and it scared all of us as we spoke about it later. But the one that noticed it first, my buddy who was behind me to my left fell backwards. Either he started to walk backwards to run into the building or what. And he tripped over himself and fell into this makeshift wall. And it made that telltale sign, that sound of, of metal on concrete, heavy metal, and made a very loud and jarring scraping noise. And we all looked right at him. And I remember I looked at him as like, oh, no, oh, no. And we looked right back at this animal and it heard it and it looked right at us immediately. And my heart sunk. And the first thing that we saw that screamed out that this is also not normal 
and also that I believe supernatural, is the eyes. The eyes were so bright, glowing, as if there was a power source inside of this animal. It was like like an amber, orangey yellow color and it was literally glowing it was it was like somebody had put batteries inside of this creature and and it lights behind its eyes and they were glowing very bright it was not eye shine there's no eye shine that could have been this bright it was something else and you could see the pupils and you could see where it was looking and the eyes were so big that you could literally see the pupils moving and, and contracting and, and, and uh, focusing. And you could see which one of us it was looking at. And it looked at us down the line. And I was the third one it looked at. And when it looked at me, it looked at me in my face. And then it looked down and back up. And I truly got a feeling like it was looking inside of me, almost like it was looking at my soul. It felt like it was was uncomfortable. It was penetrating, like it had bored into my body, looking into me. And then what it did next is when... All the walls of reality came crashing down. It's changed my life forever to this day. I will never forget this. What happened is it stood up on two legs and it wasn't trying to balance like a dog trying to get a treat or a bear even where it's abnormal. It just doesn't look like it's meant. It was meant to stand on two legs. And they were shaped like a dog's leg, but huge, just gigantic. That telltale dog-shaped leg uh, shape. And it had a human-like form. But what I mean when I say human-like, there was no human being on this planet that has ever had a shape like this thing. Besides the eyes that were immediately drawing drawing us to it, the arms are what grabbed me specifically right away. Not only were they just gigantically covered in muscle from end to end, what scared me horribly, and again, I got the fake sense, the, the, the idea I've got to start waking up, please let me wake up, as its arms were so abnormally long, it could have scratched its ankles standing straight up. They went beyond its knees. They were so long, it was, it was, it was just so freaky and ungodly. And it growled and roared at us. It bared its teeth. Its teeth glinted in the light. And it roared at us. And this roar, again, was a combination of a a lion and a bear and a tiger and a wolf and something else. There was a frequency to it. There was was almost like if you've ever seen crocodiles or alligators when they're in the water and they make their, their, their growl or roar, so to speak, and water bounces off their backs. There's kind of like a frequency, like da, 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 that that's how it came out. And you felt wind hit us. It hit me with it. And I felt a vibration go through me in my chest. And it felt like my insides vibrated. And immediately we 
all felt something physically. And I believe it was infrasound. I've done a lot of research since this happened. And I know that big cats utilize infrasound to stun prey so that they will be discombobulated and they can be easier kill for them. Uh, elephants utilize infrasound. Whales utilize it to have their songs heard much farther for miles underground. You know, they talk about there might be some and some cryptids like Bigfoot and dogmen, like possibly an air sac in their throats or something that they can utilize to make these extra noises in this infrasound. And I believe it threw this at us as an attempt to discombobulate us. And what I felt immediately besides my body vibrating was my, my from my hips to my quadriceps and hamstrings down to my calves. They felt so weak that I almost went down on my knees and I was bent over, but I was still looking at it. My friend, my best friend to my right told me he felt the same way later. And then there are other two friends that were on the two ends. One was bent over and he was dry heaving. The other said, I'm going to pass out. And they were completely bent over and something was wrong. And then it took two steps towards us. Now, you have to understand, we were 15 to 20, 25 feet from this pile of this material. It was also, again, 15 to 20, 25 feet high. It took two steps, Chris, and it was halfway to us. And that freaked us out so bad that we clumsily started to make our way in the building. And the one that noticed it first turned and kind of was falling over on himself, getting into the building, and we followed suit. And the easiest way I can describe how we felt is, is when you have a nightmare and something is chasing you and you can't run, and your legs feel like you're in tar or quicksand or cement. That's what it was like. We couldn't have run fast, but we were, again, clumsily making our way into the building. And we went immediately for the stairs, and we went up to the third floor. And I don't know why we went to the third floor. We've all asked each other, why did we go up to the third floor? We don't know. We just, we just did. And when we got up to the top, my friend that had noticed it first, and excused the, the use of, of poor, you know, vocabulary here he went postal and he started screaming we have to get out of here he was crying what is it what is it we have to go it's gonna kill us i want to go home i want to go home and we all got immediately horrified because he was so loud we knew that he was gonna bring this thing inside so we start shushing him and yelling at him and using choice words and I at one point had gone behind him and, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot four. I'm about 275 pounds and, and I'm proud. I'm not fat. I'm a big dude. And I was a big kid and I grabbed him and I didn't realize I grabbed him so hard when I put my hand around his mouth. I had literally lifted him off the ground and his feet were dangling. And he was gasping for air, but he was still screaming with my hand cupped over his mouth. And we're all as quietly as possible yelling at him, be quiet, be quiet, shut up, shut up. 
And then finally he starts, you could tell he's gasping for air. And I sat him down and we all say, well, I'll let you go. But you're going to be quiet. Please, it's going to come in here. And he nodded his head, yes. And as soon as I let go of his, his mouth, he gasped for air and the building literally vibrated, a thump. And we felt it in our feet. We felt it go through the building. And then we had that telltale sign, if you have dogs or if you've heard dogs walk on wood floors or concrete, that sound of nails scraping and you could tell it was coming in. And it was trying to pull itself up and it was scraping the nails. And finally, it you knew it was coming in. And we were frozen. And going back to you saying, did you get the sense to run? Now, this is the position we were in. We were on the third floor. If we went down the stairs, we would have met it immediately. Outside, right to our left, was a doorway that went out to the fire escape. The fire escape from the third floor down was broken away, rusted away, dilapidated from non-use, and was laying in a heap on the ground. The metal was all twisted up and sharp pieces sticking up in the air. And then the, the fire escape from the rest of the way on the third floor up to the top of the building was still there. You could have run up to the fourth floor where there was another set of stairs, maybe, I don't know, five or six steps, that took you to the roof. And if you look at the building on Google, the pictures I've been able to find, you can't see to the right of this building we were in. There was a flat area on the roof, and you could see the broken away fire escape if you could get a picture of it. Now, they've demolished these buildings since then because, there's, as I've said, there's new still making industry down there. There's three different businesses, I believe. I can't think of their names. But they've made way for, you know, needing that space. So they've demolished all these old steel mills. So I would have loved if it was still there to go back and get pictures and all of that. And um, also uh, from the first floor, you could see that in each corner of the room, there were gigantic concrete pillars that obviously were for foundation. And they guaranteed went into the ground, however many feet, and they went up through the building all the way up to the ceiling. And they were probably four feet wide, four or five feet wide, and they went as high as the building went. So those were out and you could see all that. So we were stuck. And the reason I mentioned those posts is they'll come into play. So we were stuck and we were frozen. And we're standing at this half concrete wall, looking down at this makeshift wall where it started to come in. And we started to see its head immediately. And as I said, there was a giant fire coming in. As it was coming in the building, it was almost that sense of you have... Uh, a trade, when you have giant trades, uh, you you get stuck at a trade stop and, uh, you know, you wonder, my God, when is this trade going to, to stop? It's so long. Um, that's that sense that we kind of got. And it just, it was like it was never ending, walking into the building so long, so big. And you could see everything because it was so gigantic. 
And again, that sense of uh, this thing looks fake. It, it, it doesn't look real. It can't be real. We're going to wake up. Now, this was 1987, correct? Yes. Okay. So at that time, the popular movies in the theater ranged everything from The Lost Boys to Silver Bullet to Monster Squad to all of these very popular horror films that portrayed similar creatures, monsters. Did Were you a fan of those movies at the time? And again, I'm, I, I ask everybody these questions because that was the culture at the time. You were a young guy. And you must have loved horror films, or maybe you didn't. I, I'm not sure. Oh, no, me and my friends, even to this day, you know, I, I have posts I'll put on about, uh, you know, every Friday we would always like to get together and watch horror films where, you know, most people would watch horror films or kids and they would be scared during scary movies. You know, we would laugh about it. We'd laugh hysterically. Like, I remember specifically one of our favorite movies was Return of the Living Dead. And, oh, all time favorite. Yeah, just incredible movie. And, and Silver Bullet was amazing. And, okay. So at that time, and again, I we're of similar age. Um, I, I was into all those movies at that very time when they were coming out in theaters. I was obsessed. And if I had experienced something like that, you could it's safe to say that it was right out of a page of either Stephen King or the movie jumped into your reality. Was it was it so intense at that moment that it was just fear that took over you? Or were you at all thinking to yourself, hey, I mean, this is like the movies that I, I watched. This is exactly happening. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm looking at a monster. Yes. Yeah, exactly. When we were outside and it stood up, you know, when I said the walls came crashing down, everything that we were ever taught, mythology, horror movies, the Fangoria magazine that was always so big during that time, uh, you know, The Howling and all those other movies where we're taught, don't worry, guys, don't worry. It's fake. It's not real. Don't, you know, it's scary. But to, that all came crashing down because what we were looking at, now, the, the name, the term Dogman didn't exist back then. So the thought was, my God, we're looking at a werewolf. It's a werewolf. And yes, those thoughts keep. Uh, I don't believe to this day it was, Chris. I really believe it was supernatural. And there's other things that I'll tell you about that happened that makes me 100% believe it was supernatural. And I know everybody separates dogmen from werewolves because werewolves are, are supposed to come from form of man first. I believe that this thing is that way or was that way if it's still alive. It just, it's that way 24-7. I don't think it changed from that unless it was able. I've heard some experiences uh, around in Michigan where you hear about the Beast of Bray Road where a young lady gave an interview where she was at a camp when she was a teenager and saw a, a dog man and the next night, she bravely and maybe not so smart went looking in the area. She saw it. And when she got in that area, she said there was a ball of light, a red ball of light right in the area. She saw this dog, man. And she started to follow this ball of light and stepped on a stick or, or leaves or something. And it stopped and looked and turned around and faced her. And she got the sense maybe that 
this might be that creature that is able to change it to different forms or maybe that's its original form and it takes the form of things that are nightmare fuel for human beings and make us see it in whatever form to scare us to leave it alone i don't know but i i truly believe it's super it was supernatural and the my other three friends also agree because of some of the other things that i'm about okay to tell yeah you. because that's looking back in hindsight at that very time like I said, it was a collection of all of the movies, all of the above. You you just said Fangoria Magazine. I think we had an extremely similar childhood. Um, Stephen King's It was a popular book back then. So, I mean, but I also understand the difference. Now, you, you can watch these films and obsess over them and love them. But when something... You don't want you don't want to live that existence, and even as a kid, you don't fully understand it. At, at the age of fourteen, that is also the transitional phase where uh, somewhat you used to believe that these things are very possible, and now it's going into some. You know, you're slowly inching towards adulthood, and you're slowly saying to yourself, "These things aren't possible." Now this happens. This happens right at that time. Oh, it must have blown your mind, man. Can you, before we go further in the story, can you describe the difference, the feeling that you're having when you're seeing this thing as real in front of you and seeing it in a motion picture or even imagining if it could be real or two or very different things when it's actually happening? If you could put it into words, what, what would you say? It was complete and utter disbelief. It, it was, it was that that realization that monsters are real the things that go bump in the night they're really there when you run up like we had an in our old house on on laura avenue i had mentioned to you in the basement we had those stairs that you know you could stick your hand in the stair and there was an area behind it that there could be someone or someone standing there so it was always kind of funny to hear who would come up the kids that would run up from the basement would fly up those basement stairs worrying something was under there that was going to grab them that is why Stephen King's stories, especially the ones that he wrote in the 80s, resonated so much with us is because it was our collective childhood. Yeah. Same fears, same interests. Um, he tapped into that. And I wonder, I know he's never admitted it publicly, if Stephen King had a similar experience to you or not. You know, I, I think he has. I agree with you. I don't see how someone like him who was such is such a master could not have had something in his life, maybe not as as eye opening as what happened to us. Um, but something I agree with you, Chris, something had to happen to to tap into that primal fear. And that's what I felt. It was a primal fear. I started to truly get the feeling creeping in at that point of, oh my God, we're, we're, we might die. I might die here. This thing might be killed. It's going to kill us. And again, it was it was this constant thought of this isn't real. I'm going to wake up. Please, God, let me wake up right now. It's 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 got to be fake. This can't be real. And every second, every millisecond that ticked by, it was oh my God, I'm awake. It's not fake. This is happening. And and it was just it was a a, a feeling of disbelief 
that what we're seeing is actually moving. It's, it's, it's real. Everything that we laugh about these horror movies when we watch them and we joke about it. And, you know, I was a huge, huge comic book fan. And if you watch any of my new uh, videos on my new channel, channel Planet 412, you'll see in the background, I have some superhero stuff in there. I grew up, but just from, I even have a picture of me really young laying on a, a slide reading a comic book. So all of this stuff was huge. And to this day, I'm a big comic book geek and love Marvel and DC. And I loved image comics. So all of this, you know, has always been a big part of my life. So I have all of this world of fantasy that I always dreamt about and, and played with my little brother and set up, you know, our toys, He-Man toys and G.I. Joe and Transformers and always dreamt of, man, it would be so cool if this stuff was real. Now something is real and it wasn't cool. It was horrifying. And the thought of death started to creep into my mind. And uh, this thing, it comes in and the light of the fire hits it. And it, what happened immediately was, you know, when you walk in in front of a fire, everyone, even a little child, your shadow is thrown and the shadow's huge. You know, even a little kid, your shadow gets thrown, it's big. Well, you imagine something so big, like the biggest shaped in similar form to a, a polar bear, like because it's very streamlined, muscular, long limbed, uh, not not compact, boulder shaped but so much bigger that the fire hits it and the shadow took over the entire wall. It was just black and it's looking around the room and you can see every once in a while it sniffs the air, its head goes up in the air and it sniffs and you can see the tips of the teeth, the canines from the top and the bottom sticking out from its mouth, especially when it would sniff the air, its teeth would kind of curl a little bit. So it was smelling. And what you also noticed immediately was it was salivating and it was salivating so much that it had it was almost just like tons of of saliva was pouring drool was pouring out of its mouth huge big long strings were snapping and hitting the concrete and even over this huge fire we had that you could hear it crackling and burning and everything you could hear dripping of this saliva like if you're in an empty building when it's raining those noises you hear that that echo noise you could hear it over the fire and that's another reason why i started to believe i was i was starting to think oh my god we might not get out of here this thing is salivating for one of two reasons or both it's either hungry and it's getting ready to feed or it's getting ready to kill and then eventually eat. Because just like a human being, you see a big juicy steak or whatever you dig and you start salivating. That's the impression I got. And it's looking around the room and it actually turned its head towards that wall with that was all blacked out by its shadow where the stairs were in that area. And the eyes again were so bright it actually lit up a portion of the wall in that color. So again, no way it was eye shine. That was emanating from inside of this being. And then it walked right near the fire and I could see all the anatomy and what jumped out right away at first I thought was was a, a almost like reflection or from the fire it looked like it had a stripe going down its back. But then 
my friends told me, yes, oh, absolutely. It was a stripe. It was a white stripe that went from the base of its skull down its neck all the way down its back to its tail. And it was white. And that was the only other color. It was so black, Chris, that when it was outside and the, in the night behind it, and when it stood up, it was so black. It was almost like the black was so bright. It stood out with a black night sky behind it. It was like it was sucking light into it. It was so dark. And it's crawling around and it had not paws on its front limbs and had long like i said long super exaggerated long arms that made it walk at an angle with its head higher than its rear and it had hands and when i got a good look at them a couple times they the closest thing i have ever been able to compare them to as raccoon hands they look like giant gigantic raccoon hands. Now, I didn't notice claws. My other two buddies said they definitely saw huge claws. I heard them. I heard it as they clicked on the ground when it was walking, but I never saw it on its hands. I just noticed the strangeness, the high strangeness of its hands were just gigantic raccoon looking hands they even had like you know it was like there was white and black on its hands and when its front left arm hit the ground near the fire this is when something supernatural happened again if you've ever seen the movie predator when it when it cloaks that's what its front left arm did and that's the only part of it it did it and only for maybe three seconds at the most it cloaked out you could see the fire kind of going through it or reflecting on it. And what the fire did was so strange. If you've ever seen the sun, video of the sun and the magnetic storms that happen on the sun, you see ribbons like popping out from the sun and they make curls and different shapes and and and, and just, you know, that 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 look because of the magnetic uh, uh, forces going on there. That's what the fire did. It like almost wrapped around that cloaked arm and it happened just for just a couple seconds and it blinked back and you could see it was completely black again. Its hair was very short, inch long, inch and a half at most. There was no bushiness anywhere. No, I've heard dogmen stories with when they say they had manes, it did not have a mane. Uh, its tail was not bushy. Its tail looked like an overgrown panther tail or a cougar or a mountain lion. It was just very almost muscular itself. It was very thick. And it, it moved around as it walked. It was real long. You could see the scapula on its back as it walked like a big tiger or, a, you know, a big cat. As it walks, this pop up, you know, back and forth, back and forth. But where with a big cat, it's just bony. It had muscle surrounding it. You could see muscle flexing and rippling on those scapula. You could see the individual muscles all at work. And it sniffed the air again and it snapped its head up and it looked directly at us and it bared its teeth all of them and they were so overgrown and so huge 
Uh, people have asked, you know, and it stood up. It stood up again, I'm sorry, back on two legs. And people have said, what's the closest thing that you've ever seen? Have you ever seen anything in TV and movies or books? Or I've seen some pictures online that look similar to it. But the one movie I've seen that is the closest, it's not exact. Because it looked more man-like in the movie was if you've seen Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman, when he turns into the black one at the end, I'm sorry about my nose, uh, it, it looked like similar to that. But as where in that movie, it's very human-shaped. It was not human shaped. It had a shape all into itself, and I've never seen anything to the to this day. And it stood up on two legs, and it bared its teeth, and it roared at us even louder than it did outside. And it threw its arms out to the sides, and that's when I saw the raccoon hands. It was almost like a comic book pose. It threw its arms out, and it roared, and the whole building vibrated. You could hear it echo through it, and it was looking up at us. And I always remember when it roared, and it turned its head up and looked at us. The only time I saw any type of hair or bushiness ever was when it was looking up at us. And on each side of its neck, at the base of its neck, which was huge and muscular, these tufts of hair popped out. And they were shaped exactly like if you have playing cards and you see a spade, they were shaped exactly like the spade on a playing card. I don't know why it did. It was the only reason, the only time we ever saw it, we all agreed, when it looked up at us and its neck was bent back and it, its neck got wider from bending back, this spade-shaped hair showed itself. And it was strange. It stuck out to all of us. And my hand, one of my hands was on top of this half-concrete wall and I remember feeling the concrete vibrated and my one buddy even kind of covered his ears because it was so loud when it roared. But we didn't get sick this time. And I 100% believe and we all believe this is because we were on the third floor. It was looking up at us from the first. We believe that that half concrete wall took the brunt of that infrasound or whatever it threw at us the first time. And we hurt, it hurt our ears. It scared us horrifically. It was so loud and jarring and put the fear of God in us, but none of us got sick again. And by that point, that feeling we had got outside had, had subsided. It went away and it bared its teeth and its teeth were just gigantic. And it, almost had it was almost like a sick kind of nightmarish smile when it was growling at us and then it looked away from us and it looked to its right and it saw the stairs and it looked at the stairs and it looked back at us with this almost sick kind of smile and then it looked back at the stairs again and back at us almost like to say <laughs> i see you 
and it went down on all fours and it jetted towards the stairs. And that right, that moment right there, Chris, is when I got the fear of God, I'm going to die. Now, like you said, 14 years old, you're starting to come into young manhood. We were babies. There are those who say that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children. We were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity. What would you say to the people who say, well, all these children were kidnapped and murdered and you were a part of it? What would you tell them? I did approve of it, but there was nothing I could do about it. They wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations. And there are others who say it's still happening to this day. I don't know, I for myself find it a little suspicious that all the evidence has been conveniently destroyed. Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed at you, what are you going to do? Whatever the hell they want! Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV. Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine.
I agree. But it's at that age where, you know, I thought anything and everything was possible before 14, especially the horror films were more real. They had more impact on us. I mean, they were, in my opinion, we had better horror films, but, um, but I, you know, when I was a kid, I thought the thing could be real. I thought any of the werewolf films could be real. And it's funny how coming full circle now, I'm starting to feel the same way again. And it, obviously as an adult, as a grown man, in a very different way, that we may have been duped into thinking that these things aren't real. That throughout history and throughout folklore, people have seen these things, including yourself, including myself. And I never saw anything like what you saw, but I did see an apparition once and you're not going to, no one's going to tell me I didn't see it. So, um, and so many good people have, so many credible people have uh, that I wonder, and I want to get into this with you, but I want to hear the rest of the story first is that I think perhaps fiction is a reflection of things that are very real, whether it be the authors and the makers channeling it experiencing it themselves, or in other cases, part of some kind of uh, conspiracy to uh, confuse our consciousness into thinking this stuff is only in fiction. (laughs) Mr. Caritano, Chris, I am going to tell you, I am so happy you said that. I am such a believer now that myth and legend, you always hear so many people say that there's always truths in it. And I have been hearing more and more, and I truly believe this, since I know what happened to us, since I was brought into, quote unquote, the light of sorts about knowing things that are real. And you see the government are starting to show us video of UFOs or UAPs, the new word. I'm old school. I like UFO, but they're starting to trick, let it trickle in. And I do believe that movies are a way to familiarize the public that these things really are real. And it's the easiest way to get it into our subconscious so that when we find out someday as a whole that all this stuff we've been lied to about that we've been told it's not real, it's fake, that that is almost, you know, numbing us to it. And that's why I think there's been so many movies about aliens like Independence Day and all the other ones, because they're preparing us for when it really happens so that we're able to, to grasp it back when, you know, um, Back in the in the late forties, when when uh, you know we had the the crash and and you know they they told us that um, you know in Roswell that it wasn't real. First they let it out that it was real, then they covered it up. I don't think as a whole that the 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 people of this world were able or would have been able to handle that knowledge. And I think now that we can, and I truly believe, yes, I agree with you, and. We have this thing in front of us that, that, you know, like I said, as babies, we have this. And I don't, we didn't know what to do. I don't think a Navy SEAL would have knew, known what to do at that moment. And I really, truly believe for the first time in my life, I'm going to die. And as it ran for the stairs, there was an almost beauty to the way this thing ran. And what I mean by that is when you see like a panther 
or a cougar run or jump out of a tree or off of a high point and they start to run. It's beautiful the way it moves and, and it moves so fast that it was like liquid metal or oil. And when it hit the stairs, it was turning to, to, it was turning to the right, almost curling to the left. And I noticed as its right side was close to the wall, its tail was almost being utilized like some kind of a rudder. Like like it was keeping it even keel. Like if you've read a, a snowmobile before, you turn to the right, you have to lead to the left so you don't tip over. That's that impression that I got from how this thing was using its tail. And it hit the stairs. And, you know, when we went up the stairs, I forgot to mention there was a space for like four or five stairs where there was no stair at all that it had fallen away. There was just kind of rebar sticking up. So there was a little bit of concrete that stuck out from the wall that we could stick one foot on and use to kind of hop over that area. And it was pretty big for us. This thing hit that space and it stepped over it like it was an inch long. And it started coming up those stairs so fast. My two other buddies, one ran for the fire escape and I heard him hit the fire escape and start to run up outside. You could hear the metal, the the echo of it. And I'm telling you, looking back again of how that other part of it had broken away and rusted away and fell. He's lucky as hell that that held and he didn't fall because he would 100% have died he would have fell and probably gotten paled by the other pieces he made it up i don't know how far he went but you could hear boom 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 my other buddy who went postal he went nuts he ran for the fourth floor stairs and he ran for that little and i watched him he ran up to that little staircase and disappeared so he went for the roof and my eyes went back on this thing and it hit the second uh second floor and ran for the stairs. And as it started to run up from the second floor to the third floor is when I got real quick. It wasn't a slow thought. It was instantaneous. I thought of not my life. It wasn't a flash of my life before me. It was a really fast thought that went through me in almost an instant. I thought of my family. I thought of my four siblings. I thought of my mom and dad. I thought of my dog. And I real quick thought, I'm not going to get to play football at this school. I remember thinking, I'm not going to play football at Ursuline. My dad played there, and and, and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. It was coming up the stairs so fast, I was frozen. My best friend was to my right, and he said I couldn't move either. And I was staring at it. And it was coming so quick, I was thinking, my God, we're going to die we're all going to hear each other be murdered. It's gonna, No one's going to know us. Even if someone heard us screaming, they wouldn't know where we were. No one would be able to find us. And, and they'd either find our remains or it would have eaten us all. And once it got to the top of the third uh, floor, those stairs, it would have met me. Because I was only a few feet from the stairs. And... I would have been the first one to go. And it was definitely coming. It, you know, I've heard dog men's stories where they say that, you know, they've, they've, some of them have been nine, some that they've been shot and it didn't affect them. And a lot of them that were benign where they've gotten close to people and then they didn't do anything. That's almost like they get a sick joy of scaring. This was coming for us. It was coming to end us. 
And when it got halfway there, it was maybe six feet from me. It was looking at me in my eyes and I was looking back and they were glowing super bright. It had its teeth bared and it looked like it was about to jump because if it did jump, it would have been on me in a blink. And then this is where I know for a fact, I don't care what anybody says, there was divine intervention because a train came by the building and the instant it got in front of the building, it sounded its horn. Now, we've had trains come by this building dozens of times and it's never laid on the horn. And like I said, we had a hell of a fire going that night. Some people have said, well, maybe you think that the train uh, director saw this animal running up. It's possible. I I personally 100% think the only thing that the person on the train saw was the fire. And they just laid on the horn to make noise about, hey, this, there's something going on. And I'm sure they called, you know, hey, this building's on fire or something like that. And it laid on the horn and it grabbed everyone's attention. And I did not look away from this thing because it was on me in an instant. And it stopped at the halfway mark and it looked, it turned and it looked back towards that makeshift wall. And then it looked back at me and then it looked back at the opening and then it looked at me and it did like a triple take. Like it was almost like, uh, uh, I want to go get him, but, but damn it, damn it. And then it turned around and it looked almost angry and disappointed. And it turned around and it took off. And it jetted down those stairs so fast that you could see everything moving. It was physically moving like a real creature. But as it hit the top of the stairs from the second floor, that would lead it down to the first is when the next supernatural thing happened. It started to lose form, Chris. And what I mean by that is the actual anatomical shape of this creature started to disappear. And it just was a big black mass. It still almost had shape to it. You could still kind of see ears. You could kind of see like the muzzle a little bit. There was a tiny bit of form, but it was mostly all super black, like a shadow. And then it left the building. It wasn't touching the ground. It left the building. In an instant, I mean, in a blink of an eye, and I think of through the years, I've heard and watched stuff about shadow people and about how people have seen them out of the corner of the eye, and I thought of when I was a little kid, I would see things out of the corner of my eye, like shadows, that it almost looked like something or someone was standing there, but then when you turn your head, it's gone. That's what it was like. That's what I liken it to. And it left the building so fast, so incredibly crazy fast that it had to shift into something else or it was able to go through some type of portal or, or or break the veil, so to speak. I like to use that word veil because I know that there's a veil that separates us as human beings from a lot of the supernatural paranormal things that are out there. This invisible veil, so to speak, uh, it keeps us 
blind to what else is out there. I think there are beings walking around us 24-7. Creatures are walking by us. We just can't see them or they can't see us. And sometimes we meet that similar frequency and we're able to see each other for whatever meaning. And we saw this thing and it wanted to remove us. And we started screaming, me and my best friend, when that thing turned around and started running and we were screaming as loud as we could. And I remember my other two friends had made their way back down to us after it had left the building and the trains going by clunk and they they were started screaming immediately and my one friend who had gone post almost had a half smile as if almost like oh my god we're gonna be saved it's gonna be okay and he's screaming help help we're screaming so loud i mean we almost lost our voices later that night we were talking hoarse begging someone to save us, help us, please, please help, help, help. And the train, we thought maybe it was slowing down. Maybe it was going to stop. It just kept getting farther away and the sounds of the axles making noise and the wheels hitting the tracks, the metal sound just got farther and farther away to the point where it was gone. And then the fear of God set back in. Oh, Jesus, God in heaven, it's going to come back in and we're really going to die. And we were horrified. It was more anxiety than I have ever experienced in my life since then. And I've had some really bad stuff happen to me. I'll get into them at a later date. I've had 27 surgeries in my lifetime. Since last April, I've had 10. I lost my right leg below the knee. I'm a new amputee. I had some problems with with surgeries and complications and uh, one of those times I had fallen in a in a in a opening formed on my suture line where my artery blew and I had a near death experience and my wife and daughter were in the car when this happened and we all have severe PTSD and and really severe you know memory problems that occur from that event but it's still it's different from that and it's not nearly as as horrifying as that was and and we're really affected for years and we're screaming for help and we were up there for maybe 45 minutes to an hour until the thought we finally started to discuss we have to get out of here it's going to come back it could be waiting just outside for us we kept looking we didn't see those eyes because that's the one thing at the very least if it was waiting for us and from what we could see, we would see the eyes. We know it was there. We weren't seeing it. So we made our way down to the second floor. We were there for maybe 25, 30 minutes. And then we made our way down to the first. And we started talking about we have to make a run for it. By this time, it was probably 11, 1130 at night. Now, not even police would want to be in downtown Youngstown on foot at that time of night, it just, you just wouldn't. So we're like, even if this didn't go down, guys, we got to get out of here. This is when the bad stuff happens. We got to get out of here. We have to get back to my wood buddy's house. We knew we had a half an hour gauntlet to get back. And as we're discussing leaving and making a run for it, my wood buddy who saw it first and lost his you-know-what, 
was screaming and crying the entire time. We're basically ignoring him at this point. He's, I just want to go home. I want my mom and dad. What was that? What's going on? We have to get somebody, please. We have to stay here till morning. It's going to get us. We can't go out there. And then finally, at one point, we're like, we're leaving. We're going to go. We have to go. You got to come. Come on, let's go. And he's saying, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. And he's screaming, crying, saying this. And I finally grabbed him. And, and I apologize for the language, but I have to use it. I said, listen to me. I said, no, you're going to come with us or you're going to fucking die here by yourself. Do you understand me? We are leaving. We are not going to wait for this thing to come back. If you want to stay here by yourself, then you go right ahead and you will die here by yourself or pull your shit together and you can come with us and we'll go. We've got to go. And he's crying and screaming, please, no, please. And we basically said, we're going, you're coming or you're staying. And we made him grab the back of my shirt and my best friend's shirt. And he was literally choking us. He was holding on to our shirts and it was choking our necks from the neckline. And we pulled him from the building. And when we had to jump down to get off of that concrete outcropping, I forgot to mention, if you would, during the day, bend down and look underneath, there was an area where it went really far back. So this thing could have been underneath waiting for us to drop down and just to jump on us. And we would done instantly. And it could dispatch us so easy. It could dispatch a, a, a platoon of, of trained soldiers, this thing. I, I've seen pictures of what people describe big Sasquatch or alpha Sasquatch. I'm going to tell you what. This thing was so big and so predatorial. It was made for one thing. I would bet money if you could really take two alphas, this thing as an alpha and a Bigfoot, I would put good money down that the Bigfoot would not have a chance against what we saw. So we start making it and we start booking. And now I was a bigger kid, like I said, when I was younger. and My three friends could have easily put me in the dust and left me running by myself. We were almost arm to arm running in a straight line. We were not leaving one of us behind. We were horrified. It was nightmare fuel the entire time. Every noise, every pebble we kicked, every stick we stepped on, when the wind would pick up and blow the leaves on the trees, we would stop and turn around and we would think it's signaling this thing is behind us. It's chasing us. There was never a second that one of us was not looking behind us. And we made it finally. We were exhausted to the last leg of the area. Now, when you would come into this area, we would come walking down, standing up, turned sideways because there was like a giant mound, a hill or like a almost mountainous hill of gravel and dirt and stuff. And you could walk down, turn sideways you know, pretty, pretty easily. But going back up, you would always have to go on all fours and, and crawl up. And we would always laugh at each other because there would always be, you know, out of, if say, normally we'd have a, 
a group of us between four to 10 of us. We had a big group of friends. This day was just four of us. And we'd always make fun of whoever would slide back down. Normally it would be me and one of the other bigger guys because, you know, the heavier you are, you're going to cause that stuff to, to go from underneath you. So it happened to all four of us numerous times and each one of us would start screaming, is it behind me? Is it behind me? Oh my God, oh my God. And you turn around and nothing was there. And finally after, I don't know, 10 minutes of up and down sliding, trying to get up, me and my best friend made it up first and we laid on our stomachs and stuck our hands out and helped our other two friends up. And just as we're doing that, we heard that pack of wild dogs or another one from a distance away. And it horrified us because we thought it signaled that thing. We never saw the wild dogs again, and we never saw it again. We made it up, and we crossed Route 422 Youngstown Warren Road, and we jumped over that fence and the grass and ran across the street up onto my buddy's porch where his his parents weren't home that night. They, like, every whatever night, they go out and play, like, bingo or something like that, so they weren't there. And he had a hose, and I remember pulling the hose and drinking until my stomach felt like it was going to pop. And I poured water all over myself and they did the same. And for like an hour, we just sat there. My one buddy was in the front yard. I was on the stairs of the porch. The, my other buddy was next to me and another one was on the porch. And we just did not say a word. We were in total shock and disbelief, still shaking, physically shaking. We had to be pale as ghosts. And we just stared off into the distance into the area of where, <clears throat> where that blast furnace would be, <clears throat> excuse me. And finally it was after midnight, well after midnight. And we were like, we got to get back. So his parents weren't home. So we went and we went to my best friend's dad's house, mom and dad's. And we had decided along the way that we said, Whenever we told our parents what happened, we promised that all four of us would be there to stick up for each other. So out of the four sets of parents, two of us, my buddy that lived across the street from, they laughed at us. They didn't even want to hear of it. They didn't believe any of it. The another uh, uh, group, my friend that lost it, his parents didn't believe it. They actually accused us of doing drugs. And then uh my mom heard a little bit about it at one point and she didn't want to hear it she's like they're full of crap i you deal with it to my dad name was ken she said ken you just deal with it whatever they're up to and my best friends mom and dad when we got back they were waiting for us they were really upset and i won't out my friends because two of my my best friend and my other buddy that lived across the street are, are gone they passed away and I don't have their permission to say their names and I'm still close with their families. So unless their families ever give me permission to discuss it, I won't out my fam friends and family. But we went to my best friend's dad's house and my people that know me know who I'm talking about. They know what his dad did. He worked for the city and he had a big position. And 
he said, where were you? He saw we were all covered in dirt and crying and in shock. And they knew immediately something happened. And we started to all of us at once say what happened. He's like, wait, 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 shut up. One of you tell me what's going on. And we started to say what we saw. And my best friend's mom just looked at it. She said, oh, my God. She said, you deal with this. She went to bed. She didn't want to hear it. She laughed at us and walked away. And he started to listen to us. And he first said, where were you? We told him and he went crazy on us. He said, do you realize that you could have been killed just by that place is falling apart? Do you realize that they're starting to set up, you know, explosives in some areas to blow buildings up? Do you realize you guys could have died at any moment? You know, because we'd be in that building sometimes pieces of concrete would fall from the fourth floor and fall. If we were ever hit by that, one of us would have died. We didn't think of that stuff. We were just kids. So he's going off on us just for being down there. And then we told him what we saw. And he almost gave us this look of fear as if he almost knew what we were talking about. And then he called my dad and he called my dad and he said, kid, I have your son here at my house. You need to get here. We need to talk. And my dad, of course, probably thought, because we were kind of rambunctious. We would get in trouble sometimes. You know, we did things at Boise. We'd egg houses or throw snowballs at cars or apples at cars. And we had some other things we did. We made like a, took old school clothes and filled it with leaves and threw it in the street. People thought they had a body. And we loved doing stuff like that. So we got in trouble a lot. And my dad immediately told me, he thought, oh boy, Matt's in trouble. So he came over and he only lived, we only lived a few minutes away. And he came in and he looked at me with this look of, what did you do? And he pulled my dad in the kitchen and he discussed with him something that I would later find out what he said to him. And he came back out and, and my best friend's dad said, none of you are going to talk about what's happened here. Do you understand me? If you do, I'm putting you all in juvenile hall. And the reason number one is if you tell your friends what happened, regardless if it's true or not, they're all going to want to go down there and someone's going to get hurt or killed because those buildings are falling apart. You better not tell anybody. Trust me. Secondly, if you tell guys, do you realize that you will be the laughing stock of Youngstown? Do you realize you'll know you won't be able to go to Ursuline, this Catholic school? You'll all have to go, which I'm not putting down the city school, Ray and High School, the Ray and High School. It's no longer there. It was a great school. But you know, we all wanted to go to where our families went, which was Ursuline, and, and they told us you know, you'll, you'll go to Reagan. You guys, you'll be laughed out of Ursuline. You won't ever go there. Hey, Matt, you think you're going to play football there? You think your coach is going to want some guy who saw somebody, something like that there? He's going to think you're crazy. You guys will be the laughing stocks of town till the day you die. So my dad said, we're out of here. Let's go. And on the way home, I was crying. I was pale. I was begging my father to believe me, please, dad. You know, me and my dad, my, my parents were close with all five of us. Special relationships, each kid is different. But I had a very special one with my dad for many different reasons. And one of which was football made us closer. 
But we just had a very special bond and we called each other best buddy. And I said, best, you're my best buddy. Why would I lie to you, dad? Why would I lie? And he's looking at me with this, this pale, scared look of fear as if, oh my God, what if he's telling the truth? And when we got home, he told me in the driveway, don't say anything to anybody. I made a promise to your best, you know, you're, I'm not going to say his name, to your best friend's dad. Yeah, you, you understand something about my dad. He was the best human being that ever lived. He was the most true blue, honest soul that ever lived. He, I used to call him Steve Rogers once in a while, or Captain America. He was an overgrown Boy Scout. He was old school. You made a promise. If you ask my dad to make a promise to you and he said yes, you better damn well believe that Ken Emsch would never break that promise. And one of the things he taught all five of us at a young age is when you're laying on your deathbed and you look at your life and you know, at the very least, even if you didn't, you know, make, you know, if you weren't successful in job speaking terms, if you were a good person, you were a loyal friend and a good parent and a loving, honest soul that was truthful then you know that you were a good person. And he bored that into us and, and we're all that way. And that means a lot to me to be that way. And that's why when I tell this experience, it took me a long time to break down, to tell it, number one. I've told it maybe on 15, 16 uh, different shows now. And, and when I first started to do it, I only said my first name. And I held back all of the pertinent information. I would have never said where I went to high school or what street I grew up on. And I was very vague. Now I've told it all. And I, I'm very honest about what happened. There's no reason that I would lie. And anyone that knows me, and there's a lot that do, when they hear these, these interviews, and if anybody asks them, you know him, right? Yeah, I grew up with Matt. Is he somebody who would lie about something? And they'll all say the same thing. I'm 100% positive. They'll say, if Matt said that, then it happened to him. Because he's just See, not a liar. Yeah, well, one thing I'm certain of is that there's less to benefit from telling a story like this. Uh, there's no guarantee you're going to make tons of money or anything no. from it. There's no guarantee that everyone's going to believe you or even the Correct. majority of people. However... This day and age, I think people are more open to these things because many people have had these experiences. Uh, not exactly the same, of course, but in the world of the supernatural, these things have happened to many people. And so they're open-minded enough to listen to this story. Now, the question, I have a few questions. All right. First question. So, how? And once again, reviewing, how many kids in total were with you when the incident were, happened. So there was a total of four, me and three of my friends. Okay. So now when you walked away from this, the three other friends, to this day, how many of those friends are still alive? Alive? One. One of them. And throughout the years, did any of them hide this wholeheartedly? Like they refused to even talk about it again. Yes, the the only and this is the last part I, I wanted to finish with the with this with this experience is a week later, 
Oh, and when I got home, I started to tell my mom and my dad shushed me and she said, what, you, what is he talking about? He said, oh, he saw a bear or something. Don't worry. And she walked out. A week later, my best friend finally got his dad to sit down and talk to him about it. And basically what he told us is my dad said he knew what we were talking about. He'd heard about it. Officers had had reports about it down in that area. Two of them had seen it. And that supposedly at least one of two of these homeless people that were mauled by dogs at one point over a few year period down there, they believe that this thing probably killed one or both of them. So he knew what this was. Now, okay. the- that was going to be one of my other questions. Yeah. Because had anybody at all, even in the lineage or old folklore in the area, had ever seen anything like this before or after? I've gotten so many people reaching out to me. And this one person, individual that that reached out to me said that he was at that time and still is a security uh, person who had worked down in that exact area. He said that they never saw something like that, but what happened was they would always hear something in the bushes or the trees in the wood line that would walk when they would walk. It would stop when they would stop. They would see strange lights, an orangey amber color of lights. They didn't know what they were. They would event, they would once in a while hear loud growls and they never got to see what it was. So he said, brother, this is what I did. I was a security. I still do security. Obviously, I don't work down in that area. It's gone now. But he said, I believe you because we heard stuff down there too. So this, in other words, could be a frequent stomping ground, so to speak, for whatever this creature is. Um, another question is, Were there any? are there or have there been any other phenomena in that area, like any kind of, you know, excessive amounts of haunted house stories, UFO sightings, um, you know, anything in the world of the supernatural that occurs in that general area. Had, is anyone used to seeing things around there? Yeah. And, you know, just real quick to let you know, so we've, I'm sure you know, uh, in this, in this genre niche, you hear so many experiences about different cryptids. There is the Mahoning River, which goes through downtown Youngstown and different areas surrounding. If you go, there's a, there's a park called Mill Creek Park, which is very close in proximity to that area so this thing could have been there and the mahoning river goes all the way down past the mill creek park down through the downtown area and right by the steel mill area it could have followed this waterway and been going back and forth and that's why it frequented it also ohio is considered the most haunted state in america it has some of the most supernatural things that happen there in regards to your comment did anything else and there are countless stories of haunted uh, houses um, beings being seen cryptids or shadow people uh, 
all kinds of different stories in that downtown Youngstown, Ohio area. And it makes you think you've always, you always hear that these dogmen frequent either cemeteries or Indian burial grounds. Did they bear, did they build over an Indian burial ground when they made this steel mill? Is that why it was hanging out in this area or for whatever reason? So yes, many many stories to this day that are supernatural paranormal haunted types of stories that that uh, emanate from the downtown and youngstown the city of youngstown area i suspect that there are places in the world um, that have a much higher geomagnetic charge than others and i think a great study would be to measure places like the area where you saw this creature uh, and contrast and compare to other areas that don't really have have a lot of sightings or experiences. Um, and that would take a lot of legwork, leg interviewing, and a scientific analysis of the geomagnetic field in that area. Because one thing that Dr. Michael Persinger was um, exploring before he passed uh, through several devices that he designed, was that geomagnetic charge or electromagnetic charge on the brain. And people that have had those experiences do experience psychic events, hauntings. And I don't think he was specifically suggesting that this was a hallucination caused by a geomagnetic field, mm -hmm. uh, that perhaps it opens your perception to things you normally wouldn't see. However, it also affects animals because the dogs experienced this thing. And perhaps that high geomagnetic charge allows things to come through. Now, this is going into the territory of, hey, you know, there are these deep government uh, experiments going on where they can open up doorways and allow other things to come through, portals, however you want to describe it, vortices. And if... I think we really want to analyze these situations. I do believe it, be, it, it belongs to that geomagnetic or electromagnetic energy being a, a huge factor in it. And I think the stories are amazing, but we're on the precipice now of truly considering a scientific investigation into these things, a very serious one. Because uh, we are of those times now where like the governments of the world are no longer scoffing at something we all knew was true, right? So if it's totally true that these strange craft are here and these strange beings are observing us and landing here, then that means there are other things that were concealed. Um, seems to be the nature of a, of a totalitarian uh, mind control on us. And so... I, I'm excited that people are starting to think in that direction because what we'll discover uh, is amazing. Other things are quite terrifying. And we live in an, a, an unbelievable time. I keep referencing Rod Serling's The Twilight Zone because we literally live in it. Who knows? I would like to know if there may be even some ley lines that go underneath the Youngstown, Ohio area as well. As going back to what you were saying about, you know, studying the, the magnetic things that are going on. But, you know, I, I've said this uh, uh, my, on, my, on my own channel on my first episode that, you know, I, I don't begrudge anyone who doesn't believe me. I, I really don't. I actually kind of pity people out there that don't have the ability 
to open their minds enough to the possibility of other things out there that, that, you know, in their house growing up, they're just taught, man, yeah, this stuff is just all fake. It can't exist. And that's how they look at life. And that's why they would ask those kind of, kind of mean, you know, spirited, ignorant questions as you, as you alluded to. And I, I, I think it's sad that there are people out there that just have no ability to open their minds enough to think that, oh my God, there really might be things out there like this. It's it's exciting and scary at the same time. We're so primed uh, to not believe, to say, "Hey, all of these things are fiction." I grew up with these. I can I can pick out any of these stories that I've been told, and all the years I've been interviewing people about the paranormal or supernatural, and say, "Well, this is that movie. This is that show." But I think we have these things in fiction because they happen. We write these things in literature because they happen. We make movies about them because they've happened to people. And obviously, there's many adaptations that were brought to life. And there are some that I really want to turn into movies. There's one in particular. I, I just love it. It's a, it's a Bigfoot story, but nobody's really even dared to uh, consider it, which is good. Your story would be, I mean, while you were telling it, Obviously, I visualize this as cinema, and it's strong, you know? Um, fantastic story about our existence, questioning our existence. So I'm sure you've been frustrated here and there, um, and I'm going to ask some questions now. Your immediate family, have you told this story to them? I'm sure they know of it. I, when I went down and I first met you at, uh, the conference in, in, uh, in Dallas, Fort Worth at, at the parent, at, uh, paranormal round tables, uh, second annual Dogman encrypted conference. When I was going down there, I spoke with my oldest sister and she, there was a wedding that I wasn't going to. And I, and she was like, why aren't you going? And I said, well, I'm going down to, to Texas. And she said, why are you going there? And I said, well, I'm going to this conference. And she said, well, why? I said, well, because <clears throat> I've been asked to, to speak there <clears throat> as a part of this, this, um, panel, this, uh, this dog man panel. And, uh, the person who's running it, Josh Turner, <clears throat> excuse me, he put me in his book and she goes, well, why would you be in his book? Now, again, let me remind you, my dad and, and had put the fear in God in me of not telling anyone, including my family members, because like, for instance, he says, you know, you're always inseparable with your little brother. My little brother, like when the, we had a horrific tornado go through the Niles, uh, Trumbull County area of Ohio in 1985, and it devastated. In fact, my wife grew up on a street that uh, it, it hopped her street but destroyed everything around hers. And there are pictures on on uh, Google of, of this tornado destroying parts of Niles, Ohio, and uh, surrounding areas. And when that happened. We were in Youngstown. It didn't come in that area, but you know, we got a horrible storm and the sky turned horrific colors and he knew what happened. So whenever there was a, a, a thunderstorm, he had a phobia, a horrific phobia. He would freak out. So my dad brought up the point, do you realize if you tell your brother what you saw 
even if, if my dad kept trying to, you know, like try and help me, he kept saying, maybe it was a bear or maybe it was just a big wolf or something. And I kept saying, no way, no way. You know, again, I was 14 and, and he said, you tell your brother this, he will never leave, literally never leave the house again. He will be afraid the rest of his life. And then he said, I just am not going to allow you to tell this to your family. And he said, you know, I made a promise to, you know, my best friend's dad that you wouldn't do it. So I'm going to tell you right now, you shut your mouth and you don't ever talk about it. And he really threatened me and put the fear of God in me. And again, we come from a family where if our parents told us something, we did it. So when I told my sister that I was going down, she goes, what? What are you talking about? I told her what happened and she flat out did not believe me. She said, I don't know what your time. She goes, what do you mean? We would have all been told. What are you talking about? And she accused me of lying. And I looked at her and I said, do you realize I'm a 50 year old man? I just turned 50 this past May 21st. I said, I'm 50 years old. I am your brother. You have known me since I was born. You tell me yourself. You used to change my diapers. Why on earth would I lie to you? I would tell you, hey, yeah, I got these people going. I'm going to try and get something out of it. I said, Chris, this, you know, her name's Chrissy. I said, Chris, I really had this happen. Why would I lie to you? And we got into it. And I had made up my mind and I told my wife, I hung up on her and, and we were doing a, a face FaceTime call and I decided, I said, that's it. I'm done. I will never speak to her again. As long as I live, I'm done. She, how dare she tell me I'm lying to, you know, I'm a 50 year old man. And then my uncle passed away a couple months later and he was very, very, big integral part of my life. And I, you know, I'm a sports broadcaster and he was a legend in sports broadcasting. His name was John Cappy Caparanis and he was in it for 60 years. He was also a Lieutenant Colonel in the army and he was a big part of all of our lives. And he passed away and I went to his funeral and my sister was there and I sat down next to her. And right at that moment, I decided we're just not going to discuss this. Life is short. And as I told you, I'd been through so many surgeries and almost died numerous times. I just decided, you know what? I, we, her or I could die tomorrow. I'm just going to just not discuss it with her ever again. And I sat down next to her and I kissed her and she started to cry a little bit because she knew how mad I was at her. Just to, just to make clear to the audience that you had many years to talk to your friends about this. You, you, you know, you know what you saw, just like most people who see something extraordinary, they know what they saw. I know what I saw that night in Michigan, you know, in my apartment. I know what I saw and no one can tell me otherwise. Now, I don't know what it was. You, you know, I, I could say it's a ghost, but there was definitely something there that walked from one room to another and disappeared. And I wasn't on anything. And that's that. And um, so uh, I, I believe you. The other thing is this, it's a lot of people, um, that's their immediate reaction because that's what we're trained to do. Once again, they've seen all these things in movies. They're like, this is a, just a Stephen King story. This is a movie. This is something I've seen a million times um, 
you know, the kids go out, they see this extraordinary monster, they come back with the secret. That dynamic is in a lot of fantastic stories. And, um, but once again, I believe it happens. I believe it's included in those stories because it has happened, because people have experienced these things, or it's in their collect, a collective imagination Agreed. because of the possibilities. We live in a world where all the answers aren't here for us. Science analyzes things and will continue to, and one day, I think we'll be able to explain more of the supernatural, how it works, uh, you know, like I was mentioning earlier in terms of geomagnetic energy. Um, but it's never going to tell you everything. And I don't even think you'll know all the answers when you die. So Agreed. life is a mystery. And to live on that, you know, it's to be also more understanding of people. Yes. You know, do you also agree that people lie about these stories too? There's a lot of people that tell tall oh, tales. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It also makes it difficult for the people that are t telling an honest experience. Now you have a lot of uh, not just hoaxers, people who have convinced themselves that they've had these experiences, but there, it wasn't just you that was there. There were, there were no. four people that went through this. Now, um, before your other friends, had passed. Did you talk about this with them? Oh my God. For years, incessantly, every time we were on the phone or together, we would, that's all we would talk about. What do you think it was? What? I mean, there was never a time that we spoke that we didn't talk about it. And, um, you know, to this day, you know, I'm not embarrassed to say I have PTSD from it. My other friend who's still here, he's the one who noticed it first and he lost his his stuff with it. You know, he didn't speak for two weeks after that happened. Um, he, to this day, you know, sees psychiatrists, psychologists, he has counselors, he's on medication. Um, I sought out a, a, a priest uh, at St. Mary's Church, I'm like I said, I'm half Lebanese and, and you know, I'm Catholic. It, there's different sects of Catholicism, like there's Latin Catholic. And I, and, uh, I was Latin Catholic raised, but but the Maronite uh, rite is just Catholic, but more towards the Lebanese. And our church was St. Mary's. And I went and I spoke to the to the priest and told him because I just couldn't understand what was going on. And I thought he was going to tell me, oh, Matt, you saw something. And he told me, Matthew, I believe you. You need to understand something. Most people will live and die and never know that there is another world out there. And this is exactly what he said to me. He said, sometimes things will bleed into our world, into our realm that we normally don't see. And they don't see us and they'll see us and we will see them and we'll have interactions. And sometimes they won't bother us and they won't pay attention to us or others. They'll either kill us, possess us. And he brought up possession in Rome and exorcists and exorcisms. And he's just talked about, you know, that's very real. He said, people just can't wrap their heads around it. He said, there are things in this world that people cannot believe or ever will know really exist. And he said, sometimes we find out and you were one of the ones with your friends that found of out. Of course. If we go back into any ancient mythology, there are these creatures. If we go back into, sure, folklore, 
um, around the world, in every culture, there are these things. And so it must be taken into consideration. You know, Wall Street isn't reality. It's bullshit. It's uh, a totalitarian, economic greed, all that jazz. And that is their reality. That's the reality they forged themselves. Politicians, that's their bullshit reality. But their true reality is something that most of us haven't really experienced because we have cut ourselves off from that other world that you know the uh, the priest was speaking of uh, that that other world that you've experienced and so many other people have experienced. Once again, I I stand as uh, as an astronaut on this planet with an open mind. I hear stories like this all the time. I've had my own experiences. And if you've had one that hits the realm of the supernatural, you must consider the possibilities of a variety of experiences that other people had too. So I truly appreciate you telling me this tale tonight. I mean, we could do five volumes on on your experiences um, that followed. I wanted to ask you first before I ask the uh, same question that I ask all my guests. Is there anything else that you want to tell me that followed this? experience that you feel you might be leaving out if I were to ask the final question now? Yeah, you know, I, I just want to say this too. Like, you know, I, I, I said this on my, on, my, on my own show. I said, you know, I want everyone to think about this. When you hear, like you yourself had said, you saw some type of, of spectral anomaly, if you will, or a ghost or something. You think of when we see these shadow people out of the corner of our eye or some people say they see things standing there watching them in their bedrooms. What if, just think, what if for a second that we as human beings are their ghosts, that they're in wherever they come from, are standing there and they see us and they're where they are going, what the heck is that? Look, look at that. What is that? And it's just us. What if that's how it is? Now, in regards to other things that have happened to me, I've had many. My second episode on my channel, Planet 412 on YouTube, I talk about I was in Beaver Creek State Park this past summer. I went to a Bigfoot conference there. And the night before, I went to a campsite. And there's supposedly a portal there that a lot of supernatural things happened. And I had something happen there to me that night. And the next day after the conference, I went back by myself and something else happened. Um, I haven't, I did an EVP the first time I'd ever attempted to do an EVP in my life. And I caught something and I've had people like Ron Moorhead, who is a legend in the Bigfoot community from, from the Sierra sounds, listen to it and put his stamp on it. And basically what I have on this EVP is, is what, what everyone who has listened in the know told me sounds like a Sasquatch grunting. And then there are wood knocks two times after questions I asked out loud. And I never heard any of this with my own ears. It was only on the digital recording. And I just used my phone. And that happened there. And something else happened the day after. And I had a dream just a couple months ago about this creature that attacked us when we were 14. And it attacked me in my dream. And it was the realest dream, Chris, I have 
ever had in my life. You know, when you have dreams and in your dream, you think you're at home and in your dream, it makes sense. <clears throat> you, you know, you're somewhere else and you know, it's not where you live, but it's your place in your head. Well, it was my house. It was my backyard and we have woods butted up to a fence in our backyard. And I was in my backyard and I had heard something and I went over and I was looking and then something attacked me from behind and threw me on the ground and ripped my pant leg off my right pant leg where my prosthetic is. It ripped the prosthetic off my leg and threw it in the woods and it crawled on top of me. And it was that thing I saw all those years ago when I was 14 and it was salivating and it dripped saliva. It went in my mouth and I sometimes get sick when I tell this because I, I tasted it. I smelled it. It put its face an inch from mine and its eyes were burning that orange amber color and it did which i've heard people call mind speak it didn't move its mouth it just had a very deep guttural growly monstery almost synthesized noise and it told me this it said i came for you all those years ago it said you speak of me too often and I'm coming for you. I'll see you again. And I woke up and I was soaking wet. And my puppy, her name is Hadley, is usually up in bed at that time. It was between 3 and 4 a.m. And she was at the foot of my chair. And she had her paws up on my knees and her tail between her legs. And her ears were pinned back. And she was whining. And she was looking at me like something was wrong. And, and she jumped up on my lap when I woke up. And she was licking at my face, looking at me like what, like something she knew was wrong and animals know when supernatural things are going on. Now, it was a dream. I know it was a dream, but I'm telling you, I feel it was something more because it was so ultra realistic that it was unlike anything that's ever happened to me before. And I've had some other little things happen through the years. And um, I was told that, that my great, great uh, grandmother, uh, her sister, my great, great aunt, when she was a child was attacked by a gin in Lebanon. And, um, that, uh, my great, great, I think either uncle or grandfather, uh, heard her being attacked and had to kick the door down and it dissipated and disappeared. And he got a sliver of the rotted part of the door that was wood. They were by a river and this rotted part of the door entered his leg. He got gangrene and died days later from it. So this goes way back in my family where supernatural things have been occurring throughout. I also, have a picture I have to look up and I'll send it to you that after my my uh, uncle passed away and some of my other uh, aunts and uncles we had a family gathering at Mill Creek Park the park I mentioned to you in a big cabin there and as my cousin was speaking to all of us remembering our our, our lost that someone took a picture and there are and only in the picture like three or four light orbs, blue orbs that are in this picture. And it's incredible. And I have to find it and send it to you. And I will. And, and again, I feel like we were talking about that number of those that were gone and have moved on. And that's the number of these orbs that are in this picture. 
And it's just, there's just been one thing after another that has been happening in my life specifically since, again, I was a baby. And I just think some of us are very sensitive to that veil, that veil that separates us again from another somewhere. I agree. I think that there are certain people that perhaps that geomagnetic or, or electromagnetic energy has a, is a factor in it and it affects certain people in, in particular ways. You know, like I said, you know, science is a, an incredible thing if they dare to look into these things, and they have, you know, real scientists have, they've gotten grants, and maybe the wording on paper may have been, oh, well, well, maybe this is just an effect on the brain, a haunting. They're hearing and seeing things because of the electromagnetic energy, because they had to do that to get a grant. However, I do believe the scientists behind it truly believe, or at least consider the supernatural as a, as a very real thing, not just a, a reaction to this energy. So my question to you is, obviously, you believe in these other worlds. Um, and I ask this question of everybody on the way out. And there's no right or wrong answer, by the way. So you, it's however you interpret this question. But when it's your time to leave this physical existence, what will you take with you? You know, when I, when I told you about um, when the artery blew in my leg, and my heart stopped for 90 seconds. I haven't shared this with many people. I've shared it with my siblings. Now, obviously, a lot more people are going to hear this. And I've, I've said it, I've mentioned it just shortly on a couple interviews. When my heart stopped for 90 seconds, and when my eyes started to close, I told my wife and daughter, I'm sorry, I love you. And they screamed my name and my daughter screamed, daddy, no, no, no. My wife said, Matt, no, no, no. And there were people trying to save my life, stop my leg from bleeding, putting a tourniquet on it. I lost consciousness. I felt my life leaving. And again, my heart stopped for 90 seconds. Something happened. And again, I don't begrudge anyone for not believing me. It's all right if you don't. I saw I was in a place. I, I didn't see a bright light. I was just somewhere. I was in grass. And there were people around me, surrounding me. And, and I couldn't see exactly who they were. It was like they were out of focus. Some had their backs to me and they were turned away. Others were facing me. And there was a lot of them. And I could not see who they were. And I was standing. I had my leg. And I turned. I got this sense that somebody was behind me. And I turned. And I'm sorry. I turned and I saw my mom and dad who were gone. And they were really there. And I started screaming and crying. And I ran to my mom and dad. And I started hugging and kissing them. And I said, how is this possible? How is this possible? And they looked at me and they smiled. I said, I miss you so much. And they're saying, we miss you. And my dad only just smiled once. He put his arm around me. He was a big man like me, big six foot four, burly, beautiful man. And he put his arm around my shoulder and was just smiling at me. And my mom was just a little four foot, like six or seven foot woman, just tiny woman. And she was looking up at me and smiling, telling me, I miss you too, Sasa. That's my nickname, Sasa. And she said, I miss you. And I said, Mom, how is this possible? You're gone. I missed you. And I'm bawling. 
bawling and she was crying too and she said honey she said you have to go it's not your time and I started arguing with her I said I want to see you I haven't seen you you're gone what do you mean and she said it's not your time and she put her hand on my right on my left cheek with her right hand which she used to do all the time and she said I love you and she said it's not your time she touched my cheek and I saw a flash and I was literally laying on the operating table, the, the surgeon at Trumbull Memorial Hospital in, in Warren, Ohio, is where I was as a level two trauma center is where I was taken. And they had me on the operating table and they were getting ready to give me anesthesia to save my life. And the doctor's name was Dr. Mashburn. And go ahead and look it up. She exists. And she thought I was crying, I believe, because she thought I was dying. And I was shaking. I had lost so much blood. They said I was blue. I had lost over two and a half pints of blood. And I have a picture of my wife's car that had happened in. And I'm uh, shaking. And she put her hand on my forehead and she said, Matt, we're going to save you. Now, little did I know they had told my wife, who was covered in blood in emergency not much longer before that, say goodbye to Matt. He's most likely not going to live. So in regards to your question, what I'll take with me is, I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to die. I'm happy to be here. I'm lucky to be here. But I know that there's something more after we go, and I don't fear it any longer. I'll take that I know I'm a good-hearted, truthful, honest human being that is the most loyal friend that any human being on this planet could ever have. I'm not trying to be cocky or conceited, but I have a heart of gold and I am a loving man. And that is, is all that I can take with me when I go. Then I'm going to be damn proud when I die. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for joining us tonight. To dismiss the possibilities of monsters is an offense to an open mind. There is not one single person on this earth that has even a fraction of the answers to our existence. Too many stories have been told throughout history by credible people that support the theory that we certainly live on the borderline between fiction and reality. Perhaps. It's the most skeptical of all that are due for a surprise. Until next time.